Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 141. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at BJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, I'm doing great. We are pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick. Hey, so uh, this week, um, slight change in the format. We're doing a book review. I think we've done one once before. I don't remember what that format was, and I didn't bother to look it up. This week, what we're going to be doing is talking about the book Deep Work by Cal Newport. Uh, The subtitle is Rules for Focused Success in a Distracted World. And I don't exactly remember who first told us about that. Do you remember? I feel like it was Josh Duffney. Ah, okay. Back in episode 124 is where we have reference to it in our show notes. Okay, awesome. I feel like one of us might have had it on uh, on our uh, 2021 book goals. Yes. But I don't remember where that came from, and maybe it was from Josh Duffany originally, so. Not 100% sure on that. Yeah, we won't worry about it. But it was a book goal of one of ours, confirmed. Don't remember who. (laughs) Confirmed. Awesome. Okay, uh, so Cal Newport is a computer science professor at Georgetown. Um, He's published uh, several non-academic books. I think his uh, website says seven, but specifically cites Deep Work and two others called, uh, let me see, A World Without Email and Digital Minimalism. Uh, he also contributes articles to non-academic publications like Wired, uh, The New Yorker, and The New York Times. Side note, he actually has started a podcast during the pandemic called Deep Questions, where uh, he's actually answering questions from people who have read um, any of his books um, and have questions on how to apply those ideas like in a practical way and you know, in- incorporate those practices into their lives. So it's literally, you know, people writing in and sometimes I think they actually go to a site, record their audio and uh, he plays their audio on, on the website, on the podcast. Pretty cool. I think pretty good podcast. Yeah. I listened to it a couple of times. I'm like methodically like churning through it. I think I'm 40 episodes into 130 something episodes. Uh, I'm I'm not quite sure how to uh how best to listen to it so I just decided to listen to it in uh chronological order. Well, John consumes content like this like I drink coffee. So, <laughs> pretty crazy amount injected into his brain. I have to say that it's difficult to like take notes on it, take notes on audio format and uh so um I don't know that listening to it all that way um, has necessarily helped me. I think there's definitely times as I was reading, uh, the book where I kind of went, Oh yeah, he, he, uh, elaborated on that in the podcast and, you know, maybe came to some different conclusions over time. Um, but not having actually 
written those notes, you know, it's, it's tough to go back and say, okay, I'm going to re-listen to those 40 episodes to figure out where that was. <laughs> but um, let's get to uh, kind of our format, right? Um, we're going to give reactions to the book overall. Uh, and then we're going to go back and give reactions to each section or each chapter of the book individually. Um, so overall, you know, reactions, we're going to answer some questions like, do I believe this idea? Does this apply to me? Does it make me want to change my behavior? And then what will I change to align myself with this idea? We're going to do that again to the book overall. And then uh, as we cover each chapter, we're going to give a quick overview of the chapter and then um, talk about, you know, each of us answer those questions. So uh, are you ready to uh, get to the overall reaction, Nick? Yeah, just a quick clarification. The book is written in two parts. Each one has three chapters, right? So we're just going to do part one, the first three chapters today. We'll have another episode, which should be episode 142, covering the rest. Ah, yeah. Really good, important note. And that structure basically for part one says, here is, here's me selling you on the idea of deep work. And then part two is, here's me telling you how to apply deep work uh, in your everyday life. So with that clarification, let's get to the overall reaction to the book. Uh, first question, do I believe this? Um, my reaction is, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Like I found the book really compelling. It felt like it was filling in like a missing piece of the puzzle for me in my life about, you know, his basic hypothesis and and what to do moving forward. Um, so I didn't need a really strong sell. It Once I started reading, it was really difficult for me to, to stop. Um, so that was uh, that was it for me. How about for you? Yeah, I definitely believe it. When I think back to our past guests, some of them have accomplished some pretty incredible things, and you have to think that they have done some form of this deep work in one form or another, and we've just not called it that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, you know, people who have like, oh, I've written 20 books. I've, you know... Um, you know, this and that and the other, just like the level of output that some people are able to put out is, you know, pretty, pretty amazing. Um, so second question, does this apply to me? Uh, my reaction was definitely yes. Um, I don't, you know, a big part of deep work, um, I think as we'll come across is like the flip side, which is shallow work, um, which you can do like when you're pretty distracted. I think unless you really concentrate on removing distraction from your professional work life, it's just so easy for it to creep in. And right as, you know, every time he would describe like a behavior, I was, I felt like he was talking about me and I was like, Oh, what about if you work like this or if you work like this, you know, and why it wasn't good. And I was like, Oh geez, I do work that way. And no, it isn't good. Definitely, you know, detracting from my overall value um, or my ability to just concentrate. Yeah. He's attacking all the things I'm doing wrong. That's how that's how I would answer it. Oh, man. And so, it's easy to see that I'm way too connected in general. Yeah, yeah. Let's We'll talk about exactly how um, as we get into it. Um, so does it make me want to change my behavior? I mean, for sure, right? Immediately for me. Like, uh, it was actually 
I had to stop in the middle of the book and start changing things like right away, right as soon as he pointed them out and, you know, why they were harmful. I was like, well, I'm changing that right now. Like I would change it retroactively if I had a time machine. I mean, it was just super, super compelling. How about you? It definitely makes me want to change, but there's a part of me that wanted to say no to see if any listeners out there would call me out. But I definitely want to change my behavior. Yeah. So what will I change to align myself with the idea, the kind of hypothesis of the book? Um, Well, I've already started reorganizing, like I said, how I work, um, what can interrupt me and when, and even how I schedule my time. So uh, that's, that's pretty much, I think, what I immediately did. How about you? I'm working on ways to improve my ability to focus deeply. And I started with turning off email sound notifications and desktop alerts. Oh, man, that's like a really good point. Like practicing, just practicing that is kind of like its own thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you can't just start and say, oh, okay, I'm just going to start deeply focusing on work now. It's like, it's really difficult. Like focusing yeah. your attention and not getting sidetracked is really difficult. All right. Um, so you can kind of see why we chose this book for a review. It's because we both read it, both reacted like extremely strongly positively to it um, and started to really think about, whoa, this could be transformative for our professional careers. And I think a lot of people who are listening to this podcast are looking to make a professional transformation, right? That's kind of central to, focusing on improving your career and making steps forward in your career. So um, I felt like this, you know, maybe reading a book like this could help people really kickstart that transformation. If you don't know where to start to improve your life and your career, like this would be a really good place to start, in my opinion. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree. And some of this professional transformation is actually based on digital transformation, believe it or not. I had to get the buzzword in there, but it actually is true. Yeah, it's very true. Uh, and maybe not in the way that we traditionally use that phrase. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. So let's um, get to the actual book. The introduction uh, kind of formalizes the definitions for the things that Cal Newport is talking about. Um, he says, you know, what is deep work? Deep work is... Uh, I'm going to quote here, professional activities performed in a state of distraction-free concentration that push you to your cognitive capabilities or push your cognitive capabilities to their limit. These efforts create new value, improve your skill, and are hard to replicate. Um, so that's a very interesting and specific uh, definition of that phrase. So flip side, shallow work non-cognitively demanding tasks that are often done while distracted, which are easy to replicate and do not create a lot of value in the world. Um, I think he goes on a little bit later to kind of call out administrative tasks as uh, generally being shallow work. And I just want to point out that smashing that subscribe button is not shallow work. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Um, And then he uh, comes basically to the central hypothesis of the book which he calls the deep work hypothesis it's not just the definitions and what is and isn't shallow work 
Um, here's the hypothesis. The ability to perform deep work is becoming increasingly rare at exactly the same time it is becoming increasingly valuable in our economy. As a consequence, the few who cultivate this skill and then make it the core of their working life will thrive, right? So this is, again, why we're bringing this into a career um, transformation discussion. The entire hypothesis of the book is, you know, you can be more valuable as a worker, be that employee or um, entrepreneur, if you are able to perform deep work. Reactions. Do I believe this? And immediately, yes. Like this resonates like extremely deeply with me. Like, so I strongly believe that uh, work that demands high levels of cognitive function is like the most correlated with high value, right? Like what people are willing to pay for. Um, and, and there's definitely exceptions, right? There's, you know, work that basically requires access to large amounts of capital. That's, that's something you can't control, right? But um, the things that you can control are like how well you can perform, like, like really difficult to do, jobs that just are extremely demanding that require extreme focus how about you i think when you see people make breakthroughs in our industry which is technology or reaching the highest level of individual contributor for example mm -hmm. i think they've done it they've done this in some form and again maybe we just never referred to it as that or maybe they never called it that but they definitely had periods where they needed to do deeply concentrated things to make a big enough impact to reach those elite levels and do the the work that added that much value to the field or the world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, again, I want to make sure that we say, like, I'm sure there's exceptions. I'm sure there's people who fill their way to the top. But... You know, you can't control those types of things like, you know, oh, yeah, this this person was like just, you know, one of the earliest employees in the company and just got to the top via seniority. It's like, well, you can't control that. Like what you can control is like how effectively you work. So next question, how does this apply to me? So I definitely find myself being asked to do work that seems more administrative than like deep and like cognitive and i find those things like not that correlated like that shallow work that i'm asked to do i don't necessarily understand how it contributes to the success of my job and that's not like necessarily you know exclusive to the current job that i have like it's you know across the board you know there's there's chalk checkbox that you need to check you know and it's like hey everybody we need everybody to to get through this or you know, do this or like, make sure that this is all updated. And it's like, well, um, I understand why you need to do that, but I don't understand how that adds like value to the company, right? Administrative stuff. It makes me want to focus like on that stuff that is deep, right? So it's, there's definitely, you know, you know, like unspoken expectations to like, you know, reply to email like very, very quickly, right? All those kinds of things. How about you? Yeah, sometimes just because of the number of emails or asks on your plate, the shallow work ends up getting prioritized when 
you can still do it, but it, it may not actually be the most important thing you should be doing right then. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Does it make me want to change behavior? I definitely want to change that behavior. The, you know, the, the crowding in of that highly distracted administrative type work over the work that long-term is going to most correlate with my success as an employee trying to bring value to the organization that I work for. So, you know, I want to be a worker with high value, right? Regardless of what it is that I'm doing or who it is that I'm working for. So, you know, that kind of motivates me and, you know, guides me towards this idea of deep work. Sure. I think what I'm starting to recognize is, yes, it makes me want to change behavior, but I, I just think back to all the output or the outcomes that happened for people who were doing the deep work. And I know we shouldn't necessarily be focused on the outcomes, but the level of level and quality of the output I have seen and heard about makes me want more of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you bug me every once in a while about writing a blog. And I'm like, why haven't I written and kept up with like, you know, an active blog? Um, what is it that's stopping me from, you know, dedicating time to doing that? You know, it's, you know, feels very, um, like good to do. And it feels like it's correlated with professional success. So why haven't I done it? Right. And it's like, Hey, we need to, we, I need to, to make those changes. Right. So what will I change to align myself with this idea? Like, so I am going to do everything I can to maximize the deep work that I do and try to pare away the shallow work or, you know, maybe concentrate the shallow work so that it is done in a very organized fashion and on a very regular cadence that, you know, is, you know, as concentrated together in time as possible. All right. I'm going to have to, uh, figure out like the deep work that I'm doing and like how it's measurable to being aligned with success in my workplace so that I can prove that this is the thing that I need to be doing. Um, you know, and then just figure out how to do that, right? How am I going to do the work deeply that is most aligned with my success as an employee and worker in the organization that I'm in? I would completely agree with that. And I, you know, let's not kid ourselves. You can't do deep work 100% of the time. We'll just get that out of the way. It's impossible. You do not have the cognitive capabilities in your body to do deep work all the time. However, for me, I think that I need to take more time that's dedicated to focus where I put some guardrails around keeping and protecting that focused time. That's my biggest struggle. Yeah, can totally understand that. It'd be interesting to see um, how effective we find like the techniques in uh, part uh, two. Mm -hmm. But um, we should probably uh, get to, you know, just the idea and like how how Cal Newport, you know, kind of sells the idea and and fleshes out this idea. Right. So that's that's part one, um, you know, past the introduction. So chapter one, deep work is valuable. Um, so at the core 
of this chapter, you know, he up top kind of talks about how technology is disrupting, you know, the traditional labor markets. He cites some economists who call it the great restructuring saying that, you know, hey, there's groups that are benefiting from all the disruption and others that are being harmed, right? How technology is displacing human labor when when that labor is really just used in a way that's easily automated. Um, but there are three groups that are positioned to benefit from this restructuring. And the first group is the highly skilled workers. And those are the workers that either design or understand how to use the complex technology that is really being developed, that's doing all this disrupting. Um, there's the superstars who are at the tops of their fields. And because of the uh, emergence of technology that allows us to work remotely, um, they, you know, companies can say, well, I just want to hire, you know, the superstar for a few hours or, you know, to get this project or job done. And that's going to probably displace somebody who's local to that organization who maybe was going to work on that. Um, and then the final group is the owners who have access to capital to fund this complex technology and the development and the, the application of it. Now, you know, we have to say, like, we can control how much, like, you know, focus and deep work we have. We can't control whether we have access to capital. So uh, Cal Newport, you know, points that out right away and says, you know, hey, you know, let's start to try to control what we can control. Like, you know, if you, if I had the ability to control how to get access to, you know, huge amounts of capital to invest, like I probably wouldn't be writing a book. I'd probably just be doing that. Um, so he says, how do you become a winner in this new economy? So it's two core abilities, the ability to quickly master hard things and two, the ability to produce at an elite level in terms of both quality and speed you know, direct quote from the book there. So he's really talking about, um, in the rest of this chapter about the fact that deep work will help you quickly learn hard things. He references uh, the talent code by Daniel Coyle, which we've talked about in that section. He talks about the neurological basis of, of learning difficult things. Um, and then, you know, the second point, deep work helps you produce at an elite level. And he kind of posits a, um, a formula here, you know, high quality work produced is equal to time spent times intensity of focus. So he also introduces the idea of attention residue when you're changing tasks um, from one task to the other, like you can't actually just immediately put something down and immediately fully focus on something else. You just have leftover attention on the previous task, which is why multitasking is so harmful. If you especially switch between a bunch of different tasks, you're going to have residue left over on each of those different tasks. So focus is really the key. Long term focus on a single task is key to producing at that elite level and having high levels of output. He talks about, you know, the counter examples too. like, you know, maybe there's executives at high, you know, highly placed executives in organizations that where all they do is they go from one task to another and they have a bunch of people who report to them that, you know, bring them information they have to make a decision on. Um, that counter example, he, you know, Cal Newport says is like probably not that useful. Like, you know, either, 
you know, what are the chances that you are a highly placed executive at an organization reading this book, trying to revolutionize your career? And even if you are, who's to say that like your ability to deeply focus wouldn't actually improve that ability. And in the podcast, he's actually talked about people who said, eh, you know, some of those high level executives, when they're going from meeting to meeting, they actually are performing deep work. You know, they're just intensely focused in each of those meetings on, you know, what it is that they need to learn about the issue that they need to make a decision on and then bringing to bear all of their cognitive abilities to make a good decision. So, um, you know, there's an argument that even there, they're, they're doing deep focus, deep work. So um you know on to our questions do i believe this you know probably not a surprise at this point that i definitely believe it like um you know back to kind of the the hypothesis and you know the distortions in the market like i i see that you know already and i see that the most highly compensated work you know is becoming knowledge work like even like in silicon valley like you know the the first generation of uh Disruption in Silicon Valley was probably, I think, um, you know, Hewlett Packard and, and the, the rise of the, you know, the computer industry. And, you know, at that time, like the engineers who were working at those organizations, they were white collar middle class employees. Right. But that has changed, you know, to today to those, you know, software engineers becoming, you know, top 1% earners in the economy, you know, making equivalent salaries to lawyers and doctors and, um, you know, those types of like high end knowledge workers. So that transformation, you know, I've seen it, right. It's probably happened in my lifetime. So how about you? For a long time, I've been wondering how the people we've talked to who have produced things at elite levels have been able to do it. And I'm starting to figure out how they did it because they had to have done some of these things in the deep work mindset. Maybe not exactly, but they found a way to find that focus on what was really important and got the biggest bang for the buck for them and their company and beyond. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Okay. So does this apply to me? Definitely. Definitely applies to me. I mean, I've already benefited from it, right? Like I've sold myself in every single, you know, the last few jobs that I've had, I guess, as someone who can, you know, quickly learn difficult new skills. And um, I can really see this entire deep work philosophy as a way to concentrate on and accelerate that process, right? I might have been good at it, but I wasn't necessarily great at it. And I think I can be great at it by really paring down and, and applying, you know, Cal Newport's process. I think many of us, you know, many of us want to raise our game and produce better quality output faster because that seems to be the expectation as you climb the ladder of individual contributor, more impact, high quality. Yeah. At a higher volume. Right. And, and higher volumes of high quality has a has a increased impact right mm -hmm. and an increased salary yeah definitely so does it make me want to change behavior so i've never thought about the ability to concentrate 
as the key to learning difficult things, but in retrospect, it's extremely obvious, right? In fact, now that I think about it, like my work performance went dramatically upwards after being diagnosed with attention deficit disorder and, you know, getting medication to, um, handle like that attention deficit. So it should be obvious to me that like, it's the ability to not get distracted, to be able to concentrate deeply, you know, is the key to, you know, higher performance and, and generating more value. It definitely makes me want to change behavior. I, I know I haven't set aside enough time sometimes for professional development or learn that new skill that I really need to learn until I absolutely have to, AKA, you know, when I ran the podcast for a little while solo. So I think focusing a little bit more on that is only going to help technologists like us adapt to the changing industry we're in. It's not that I wasn't doing education. I just don't think I'm doing enough. Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe it's just that deep focus, right? That, oh, here's like the firm goal and here's how I'm going to get there. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so what will I change to align myself with this idea? Well, I mean, you know, I already mentioned, you know, attention deficit disorder, so I can definitely stay on top of my meds there. Like that's the extremely obvious thing for me. But, um, you know, more uh, importantly, I probably need to make deep work my top professional priority. I mean, any individual areas that I'm, that I'm actually working in uh, are probably secondary to my ability to perform deep work in that area, right? So I guess what I'm trying to say is like, you know, it doesn't matter like what part of the business that I'm working in, um, as long as I can work deeply, like I'm probably going to be successful. So that ability to work deeply is the most important thing to me and my individual success. There you go. For me, I am going to work to be less controlled by whatever's at the top of my inbox. Oh, yeah. That's that's Because I think sometimes I just end up going with the hot list instead of the list I prepared to cover for that day. And sometimes mm-hmm. you have to, mm-hmm. but you can still make progress on the things that need the progress the most. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, let's get into Chapter 2, which I think actually addresses some of exactly what you were just talking about there. So um, a good transition. Chapter two is deep work is rare. So, you know, the general idea here is that despite the fact that we, you know, anybody who probably thinks about this idea of like, you know, knowledge work and, and high quality output requiring deep concentration, you know, at the edge of our cognitive abilities, like, most businesses aren't set up for that, right? They're set up, they do things like maybe on purpose and maybe accidentally, you know, which, you know, compromise that. Like, um, uh, I would say like, you know, that implication that you should be rapidly responding to communications or, you know, um, emails and chats, uh, you know, those kinds of things or, or maintaining an active presence on social media. Um, that kind of thing is, you know, it's implied that it's important in many workplaces, uh, open offices, like where you can just bump into people all the time and, and get easily interrupted. Um, you know, that that's all set up, uh, you know, again, 
maybe unintentionally, but to to really keep us from doing keep, uh, deep work, right? So, so why is that? And and this chapter I think addresses some of that. Like the first idea is um, the metric black hole, and you know it's really easy to measure some things, but I think this concept really is referring to the idea that it's difficult to measure progress when somebody is doing deep work because some knowledge work is so complex that it's it's difficult to say oh you know it's 80 percent done or 90 percent done versus 30 percent or 40 percent done um especially when it's just it's just you know working through solving a problem be it you know a, a mathematical proof or you know developing a uh comparing compra- contrasting um architectures for you know compute um you know those things are it's just really hard to come up with a metric to measure the ability to do that so the second idea is the principle of least resistance uh which we'll put a quote here in a business in a business setting without clear feedback on the impact of various behaviors to the bottom line we will tend toward behaviors that are easiest in the moment so that idea that we're just going to like kind of do whatever's in front of us i think which is what you referenced which like give us at that dopamine hit that like oh i got something done mm-hmm. right i did something like something came up on my email and i answered the email therefore I got something done. It was the easiest thing for me to do and I did it. Therefore I am good, which like kind of leads into the next idea, busyness as a proxy for productivity. So, you know, it's really tempting to do things that are like publicly visible and, and publicly visible accomplishments and say, Oh, I did that. So I'm being productive. Right. You can see that I got these things done, so I must be productive. But the thing that is most important for us to get done is the deep work. So if we're doing a bunch of uh, publicly viewable administrative tasks instead of doing the deep work, then it looks like we're productive, but we're not actually getting the thing done, which is most correlated with value. So, you know, the quote here is knowledge work is not an assembly line. And extracting value from information is an activity that's often at odds with busyness, not supported by it. The next section that he has here is titled The Cult of the Internet. I'm going to say that he uses the word internet as a proxy for highly connected behavior. Um, So I'm going to say that instead of the internet, which is what he writes. So, um, you know, the, the idea is like modern businesses place a high value on on highly connected behavior which leads to shallow work and most because it's it's complicated to measure the destructive nature of that behavior and that's you know kind of the extension of all these things that he's talking about right it's difficult to measure the success of deep work it's easy it's also difficult to measure you know the lack of accomplishing that deep work or anything that's like uh, you know um distracting you from that deep work spending time like disconnected deeply concentrating on complex tasks is the way that a craftsperson would behave and that seems like old-fashioned right like um you know he talks about a uh, a blacksmith a little bit later on in the book and it's like you wouldn't expect like somebody who's like hammering on raw iron to like check their email like 
every five like hammer blows like they need to like heat the metal and then hammer on the metal and then heat the metal and then hammer on the metal and it's not like any of the other things that like you know might be involved in like a blacksmithing business that are critically you know more important than getting the blacksmithing done right but so this is the final point bad for business good for you right it's that misunderstanding about what's valuable for businesses that presents an opportunity for those of us who recognize that you know there's an advantage to be gained by being able to concentrate on deep work to be able to cultivate that skill um, and then, you know, actually do it, you know, as the ability to do deep work and the performance of deep work becomes increasingly rare, right? So, you know, this is like kind of the gateway, you know, for you to become one of those highly skilled workers. And, you know, eventually if you keep on working at it, um, a superstar, right? You know, if you do that, then you're putting yourself in a position to be highly rewarded, uh, for your, for your labor. And I think that's kind of the, the key to all of this. So <laughs> do I believe that, right? Uh, that's a, that's a lot of uh, ideas, right? Um, but it's like, you know, one after the other and logical conclusions, logical order, uh, drawing a logical conclusion. Like it, it's really difficult for me to like read this and not just immediately believe it. Like I, I see all the things about, you know, distracted behavior and I see how it keeps me from concentrating deeply on very difficult problems to solve and i think that you know in retrospect it's solving those kinds of problems that is the most like valuable thing that i could be doing as an employee so yeah it's i'm i believe that you know if i figure out how to do it like i'll become you know more valuable and it's kind of like easy to tell everybody about it because you know it's a hard thing to do so who's actually going to do it you know, like if I was super selfish, I guess I'd tell nobody else about this book. This is really about John wanting to become a superstar <laughs> just to get that out in the open. And that's cool. Um, but I'm just going to say, do I believe it? Two thumbs way up. Awesome. So how about this next question? Does it apply to me? Like, I mean, yeah, I have direct personal experience with this, right? Um, you know, if I have the skills to do something, to learn things quickly, like I displace and win the job when other people are applying for it, right? I get selected for the project when other people wanted to do it. So, you know, I've directly experienced this. Absolutely. And I've experienced the other side, which is feeling busy all day, but at the end of the day, you go, what did I really accomplish today that was what I needed to or felt meaningful to me? It's not that you didn't do anything. But maybe the stuff you did was just firefighting, and that's what it felt like all day long. You can still do the firefighting, maybe just not all day. Yeah, I have to agree with you 100%. I don't want to position myself as like this like black belt deep worker. Like I, I think what I'm trying to do is say I'm a recovering like shallow worker, right? It's very, very easy to get into firefighting mode and just keep an eye on your inbox and just answer every email as it comes in, respond to chats immediately, look at Twitter and, you know, look at LinkedIn and, and see what's coming, you know, your way that way. But it doesn't necessarily lead to like at the end of the day, figuring, feeling like you've, as you pointed out, like, oh, I got a lot done. That was important. 
So does it make me want to change my behavior? I mean, hopefully we've already answered that question. Yeah, we answered that. <laughs> it feels so obvious like that concentrating on deep work is a, is a path forward to professional success. And, and I think, again, that's kind of why we're doing this book review is because we want to, you know, as we came to this realization, we wanted to make sure that all of our listeners, you know, got exposed to the idea and had the opportunity to read this book as well. We're aiming for the next level and we want you to be too. Yeah. Okay. So what will I change to align myself with this idea? So I think that my primary work focus should be deep work. And I think I kind of said that like the, the secondary thing is what am I spending that deep work time on? And that's important as well. But the very first thing that I should be doing as part of my transformation is minimizing that shallow work and maximizing that deep work. So I'm trying to be less connected during the day, uh, concentrate my social media time, like as a task with a specific goal. Um, you know, maybe that's like mostly broadcast, uh, catching up with specific people, but, but to have that be time bound with an agenda, right? These are the things that I want to get done, you know, one, two, three, four, five, and this is the time that I have to do it. It's only 20 minutes. Um, and at the end of that 20 minutes, I have another thing that I need to move on to. For me, I'm going to say forcing the disconnected time to focus on the right stuff. Like you said, you have to determine what that is. I can't help but think back to Eric Brooker's episode in episode 140 where he forced himself to disconnect for his family to be present. And I think a little bit of that same mantra is what you need for the deep work. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so finally, chapter three, deep work is meaningful. So again, I think this is where the uh, the blacksmith story came in, and he talked about how we have this respect for physical trades as having this like meaningful life, um, you know, achieving high levels of craft, and and how that can be extremely meaningful. But we don't have that with knowledge work. Right. So Cal Newport is making the argument that we can have that connection between knowledge work and meaningful craftsmanship through the process of deep work. So he makes uh, three arguments here, a neurological, a psychological and a philosophical argument for going deep. And the neurological argument, I think, harkens back to Daniel Coyle again and saying, you know, this is why uh, you know, deep work results in like, you know, increased, uh, capability for you. Um, and the quote here is in work and especially knowledge work to increase the time you spend in a state of depth is to leverage the complex machinery of the human brain in a way that for several different neurological reasons, maximizes the meaning and satisfaction you'll associate with your working life. Um, Maybe it wasn't the Cal, uh, sorry, maybe it wasn't the Dan Coyle section here. Maybe it was a, a different set of uh, people who were talking about um, how doing, how older people had learned over time to kind of suppress the effects of like negative stimulus and uh, just focus on the positive effects of positive stimulus. So, you just have the ability to like focus and learn to suppress certain things and enhance other things. 
the psychological argument for debt. Um, this is, uh, I think, aligned with the research that Mihai Cech sent Mihai uh, did. Uh, yes, I did listen on how to pronounce that name. If you look up his name, it, you'll see it's extremely difficult to, to sound out. Um, he's the author of the book uh, Flow. So um, his research actually showed that people were more likely to enjoy work than relaxation. I found that to be extremely interesting. Uh, Same. Yeah. Work gave them like flow-like cues such as goals, feedback, and challenge. Um, on the other hand, relaxation time tends to be unstructured. So people's happiness was correlated to the amount of time spent in flow-like states. You know, that's what uh, Csikszentmihalyi was studying. And and work gave them more access to those flow-like states than relaxation did. Um, and then finally, there's a psychological argument for depth. And, you know, again, this is where Newport kind of revisits the idea of craft um, and says, like, hey, physical trades, you know, you can start, you can really um, associate with high levels of craft and high levels of skill. But there's nothing about a trade being physical that is actually linked to craft. You can have a knowledge-based job and do knowledge work and have that be a high level of, you know, approach that with a high level of craft and achieve high levels of craft with that type of work just as well. And if you do that, then you're going to have like a lot of meaning and a lot of enjoyment in your work, right? It's not the type of work that brings meaning. It's the high level of craft that brings meaning. So do I believe this, this section on the talent code and like the ability to kind of, you know, suppress certain things and enhance certain things definitely rang true with me. Um, you know, I experienced like that kind of psychological feedback as I put things into practice. It's, you know, definitely believe it. Definitely believe it. How about you? Yes. We know from Three Signs of a Miserable Job by Patrick Lencioni that if your work is not meaningful to the organization or you don't feel like it is, you're not going to have job satisfaction. So I will also say that there is a difference between meaningful to the organization and meaningful to you. Hopefully there's an intersection between the two, but there won't always be. It's probably true that just because an organization asks you to do something doesn't mean it's meaningful to them. <laughs> sure. Um, the next question, does this apply to me? So at first I thought that it applied less than the other sections that we talked about, you know, chapter one, chapter two. Um, it's interesting that Newport thought about this as, you know, meaning. Um, I, I guess I'm experiencing more like meaningful work in my professional life as I apply this idea of deep work. Um, there's a positive feedback from the increase in productivity and that feels good. Um, I mean, he calls it meaningful. Like for me in practice, it was that like effectiveness and then that positive like feedback feeling that impacted me more than the idea of like this philosophical like dedication to craft. Um, but I, I think that is just a little bit more abstract, right? That probably comes maybe with time where you just have like pride and the type of work that you can do. It's just, I think with knowledge work, it's a little bit less um, tactile. Like you can't point to a thing and say, 
this was the result of high levels of craft necessarily you know a white paper an architecture it's a little bit less it's a little bit more difficult to to associate it with that and i think maybe that's the point of that section that we just need to like you know push ourselves to associate that associate that a little bit stronger yeah there's something that feel that makes you feel great about completing a task that was really challenging that maybe you didn't even know if you could do at first and i think that's what i got out of some of this it can make it meaningful because you over overcame maybe an obstacle that was put in front of you as part of this work, meaningful work to the organization that just needed to be done, or you saw a gap and did it anyway. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And one other thing I'll say is I can't help but think back to episode 127 and what Tom Hollingsworth was talking about in terms of burnout and those things that are still left on your list after months that just grind away at you. You know, maybe they're big things, big rocks that need to move that you haven't made progress on. And some of those things, hopefully, we can make progress on with the deep work. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good point. I hadn't really thought about, like, a link between not doing deep work and burnout. Maybe that's something that we can explore a little bit further. Hmm. All right. Does it make me want to change my behavior? Uh interestingly like i think i'm torn on this like my gut reaction was no like there's you know increase in meaning doesn't really mean anything to me but i mean i guess i can see it as a motivator in retrospect like having gone through the process of trying to do more deep work i definitely got this like positive feedback from being more productive and a positive feedback from like learning new things and and, you know, maybe as I do more, like, you know, I will get even more of a positive feedback from that, like, appreciation of craft. It's just, it's all in retrospect, right? It's, I, I don't know that it's motivating me to start. Does that make sense? Mm hmm Sort of, you've known it's been meaningful all along, but, and this is just reinforcing it. I, I guess that what I'm saying is that it, it didn't get me off the couch to do this in the first place, right? It, it was the pragmatic parts of it of you can be more productive, you can be more valuable, you can have an economic advantage. That got me off the couch to start doing things. Okay. After doing it, now I see, oh, there's this positive feedback about feeling good for being productive, feeling good for, you know, learning things, for, um, for like, you know, having that, like, meaning and, and and maybe like achieving that knowledge but you know like the 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 flow flow states you know that like doing good work and feeling like hey you've accomplished a bunch of things that didn't start the process for me like it might help me continue the process but it didn't motivate me to start things how okay about how about you i can see that i think that yes I definitely want to change behavior. I know I've experienced, especially when when you were offline for a bit, working on your on your new house, and mm -hmm. I I think I experienced this meaningfulness more deeply because I needed to keep Nerd Journey going for you, and because I felt like we were making a difference. So 
that was a great feeling. And regardless of the amount of work, I never burned out hmm. to go back to our burnout subject because mm-hmm. of the meaning inside the work. And it was, you know, some of it was definitely deep work in that figuring out the right things to say when you're the only one talking, you can't riff off your, your co-host. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. That's so interesting. Yeah. Okay. We're going to have to explore that yeah. burnout idea, I think, a little bit more. Sure. So uh, last question, what will I change to align myself with this idea? So again, I was way more torn about this than you were. So at first I thought, n- not a lot. You know, I'm, I'm already going to be aligning myself with deep work, you know, around learning and effectiveness. Um, but, you know, the more that I think, the more that like the idea of high levels of craft is really appealing. Um, in retrospect, you know, I, my Twitter handle is vjourneyman for a reason. Like I always associated technology and what we do as kind of, you know, going through that apprentice journeyman master like sequence. Um, it reminded me and like, there's these echoes of these mentions of other books that I haven't read, but the titles are very evocative of this, you know, shop class as soul craft is one, um, you know, the idea of getting meaning out of doing work and then Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance and inquiry into values. That was the other. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if they address this, like the idea of, you know, craft as bringing meaning to life. Um, so something that I'm definitely going to explore um, and I'll try to report back. So I'm going to say that what I found really interesting here was this idea of the rarefied approach to your work in craftsmanship. In other words, you get a lot of independence in terms of creating that deliverable that you need to put forth. There are usually success parameters, right? I can paint my canvas however I want it to look, as long as I meet those parameters. And that endeavor of creating is actually extremely meaningful for me. And I know it is for a lot of other people too. And I actually think that it comes down to the process over outcomes discussion that we had back in episode 19, but he's talking about enjoying the process so much that it actually creates meaning and produces the outcomes you want through the deep work. That is an excellent link that I think that I had not connected to when I read this, but I'm going to have to go back and, and revisit that because I think that's just, that's an amazing insight amazing insight every hundred episodes or so i have one it's it's a little bit more than that (laughs) okay 50 (laughs) okay um well that's the end of chapter three and the end of part one of deep work um before we summarize is there anything that pops in your mind uh while we were talking before we uh close out the only thing I would mention is one of the books he references is called Wrapped, R-A-P-T, by Winifred Gallagher. It was about attention. Mm. Uh, There's a story of someone who wrote the book after getting cancer and talks about constant checking of email causes stress and that losing focus causes you to fixate on what's wrong with your life. Kind of makes me want to read that one mm. since it was referenced in there. I pay attention to book recommendations and other books, so... 
as you know, the reading list is quite long. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, that's a really, really good point. Let's we'll add it to the list. Add it to the list. <laughs> All right, so we're going to be back next week with part two of Deep Work, which covers the practical parts of how to apply these ideas. Um, so hopefully um, we've intrigued you with this uh, rather long uh, book report on part one of the book. Uh, hopefully our passion and how we positively um, reacted to reading this uh, comes across, hopefully. Uh, but at any rate, uh, let's maybe get out of here, right? Sounds good. Tune in for part two. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder and deep work to do, of course. We're collectively on Twitter, at Nerd Journey. All right. Farewell, listeners, and tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White, at V Journeyman, for Nick Cordy, at Network Nerd underscore, signing off. Go deep or go home. <laughs>